Welcome to the European Vascular Podcasts. My name is Melina Vega de Zenia. This month's editor's choice is follow-up of patients after revascularization for peripheral arterial diseases, a consensus document from the European Society of Cardiology Working Group on Aorta and Peripheral Vascular Diseases and the European Society for Vascular Surgery, by Dr. Venermo and colleagues. The authors have performed a systematic literature review on the follow-up beyond the perioperative period after revascularization of PAD in all territories, and include experts' input to suggest standards for follow-up in each territory. This consensus document is a complement to the ESC guidelines on the diagnosis and treatment of peripheral arterial diseases in collaboration with the ESVS, published in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery in the March 2018 issue. The evidence supporting surveillance protocols is poor, so the ones suggested in this document derive from the scarce available evidence experts' experience and common sense, awaiting better quality data. The rationale for surveillance, as described by the authors, is to detect and treat imminent revascularization failure before patency loss and thereby to prevent complications and redo revascularizations, and to implement optimal preventive strategies for disease progression and avoid other cardiovascular events. Revascularization failure can occur because of target lesion recurrence and also non-target lesion progression. And PAD patients are very vulnerable to cardiovascular events at different locations, cardiac, cerebrovascular, and limb-related. These patients are chronic and need long-term surveillance, which can be performed by the vascular surgeons themselves, vascular physicians, cardiologists, general practitioners, or a combination of them. This will vary in different countries and areas according to the local health system organization and resources. One of the key ideas in this consensus document is that clinical assessment remains the pillar of all follow-up protocols and imaging is not systematically required. When needed or deemed appropriate, duplex ultrasound is usually the first and main imaging technique to use. Ankle brachial and toe brachial indexes, CT scanning and MRI can optimize surveillance in specific settings. The paper includes a table detailing a checklist of items to be regularly assessed during the mid- and long-term follow-up visits. It includes smoking status, brachial blood pressure bilaterally, fasting glucose and glycated hemoglobin when applicable, lipid levels, renal function, body mass index, exercise, adherence to antithrombotic, diabetic, hypertensive and lipid-lowering drugs, cardiovascular symptoms, full cardiovascular examination including ECG, and screening for AAA when applicable. The rates of procedure-specific adverse events decrease over time, while disease-specific adverse events increase in the long run. Surveillance must be aware of both. The body of evidence is best for extracranial carotid artery disease. There are several RCTs which have followed patients for over a decade, the incidence of ipsilateral severe restenosis or occlusion after carotid endarterectomy was 5.8% in a meta-analysis of 11 RCTs published in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery in 2017, with 5.2% rate of late ipsilateral stroke in these patients. In contrast, the incidence of severe restenosis or occlusion is about 10% after carotid stenting, but only 0.8% of late ipsilateral stroke. 
The risk of progression of a contralateral moderate stenosis is about 15%, with very low risk of contralateral stroke. Thus, the usefulness of ultrasound surveillance is controversial. The repair of stenting restenosis is not recommended given the negligible risk of stroke. There is an indication for endarterectomy restenosis treatment if the procedure risk is 1% or lower and in selected patients. The authors recommend clinical surveillance at 1 and 12 months and annually thereafter, with ultrasound imaging at 1, 6, 12 and 24 months. If there is no significant restenosis at 24 months, there is no need for additional imaging. Let's move on to upper extremity arterial disease. The incidence of late restenosis or occlusion is similar after open or endovascular revascularization in this setting, with over 90% primary patency rates at 2 years and almost 90% at 5 years. However, a subclavian artery stenosis is an acknowledged marker of cardiovascular mortality, so these patients need best medical treatment with strict control of their cardiovascular risk factors. The authors recommend clinical assessment at 3, 6, 12 months and annually thereafter, and selective ultrasound imaging at 1, 6, 12 months and annually thereafter for specific settings like hemodialysis AV fistula in that same arm, coronary artery bypass with the ipsilateral internal mammary artery, and bilateral subclavian artery stenosis. Vascular surveillance after acute embolic mesenteric ischemia is not necessary. The patient needs to be on anticoagulant drugs if the cause of embolism persists. Annual clinical assessment is needed for patients treated for chronic mesenteric ischemia to secure best medical treatment and to check for recurring symptoms, but routine imaging follow-up if the patient remains asymptomatic offers no additional benefit. If the acute mesenteric ischemia was due to atherosclerosis, trimestral duplex ultrasound is recommended during the first year and then annually. Concerning renal artery disease, the authors suggest different follow-up programs for fibromuscular dysplasia and atherosclerosis. For the former, the protocol includes blood pressure and plasma creatinine levels every three months during the first year and twice a year thereafter, and ultrasound at 3, 6, 12, 18 and 24 months and annually thereafter. After atherosclerosis, renal artery stenting or bypass, the authors recommend the same regimen for blood pressure surveillance and renal function testing, but ultrasound is limited to the first three months and thereafter only if clinical changes suggest possible restenosis. Lower limb revascularization covers a wide range of techniques and locations. Follow-up should be holistic, covering both lower limbs, not just the revascularization site. After lower limb venous bypass, the suggested surveillance protocol includes physical examination and ABI, serum lipids and ultrasound at 3, 6 and 12 months and yearly thereafter. If a new intervention is performed for graft stenosis or occlusion, the protocol should be reinitiated from the start. Surveillance should be lifelong in these patients, especially for those who have suffered from critical limb ischemia. Anastomotic restenosis or disease progression of inflow or outflow arteries is often asymptomatic in patients with prosthetic grafts, and they tend to develop symptoms once the bypass has occluded. There is not that much evidence to support a similar follow-up protocol in these patients, but it would seem sensible to do so and to repair grafts when threatening lesions for their patency are detected. It is difficult to design an ideal follow-up protocol after lower limb endovascular treatment. Long-term outcomes are favorable after iliac stenting, but much worse after infrainguinal procedures. 
There does not seem to be a plateau in the incidence of failure after the first few months, like there is for vein graft failure. Instead, events occur constantly during the first five years, sometimes preceded by restenosis seen on ultrasound, sometimes without previous signs of warning. The authors recommend clinical assessment, ABI and ultrasound in the first month at 6 and 12 months. The usefulness of a yearly ultrasound scan after the first year in patients who remain asymptomatic has never been proved and cannot be recommended routinely, but complete cardiovascular clinical surveillance must continue at least annually. Additionally, follow-up of the ischemic wounds must be tailored until complete wound healing in order to recognize when the wound is not progressing satisfactorily, maybe flagging failure of the revascularization. The paper aims to provide a standardized, clinically reasonable and cost-effective follow-up strategy. I encourage you to read the complete paper, which details the rationale behind each of the suggested surveillance protocols. You can challenge your own protocols. How similar are they to these? Where are they different and why? Let's hope in the future some of the gaps of evidence are filled so we can have a solid foundation for our follow-up strategies. The complete reference for this paper is European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery, Year 2019, Volume 58, Issue 5, pages 641 to 653. It is an editor's choice, so open access for everyone. Until our next podcast, have a great day.